this up as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I need to do this all day. The Matt Sodnicker Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. Thank you so much for everybody or to everybody that's been listening. I do appreciate it, sharing and sending me uh, suggestions for guests. And with me today is someone I met a couple of months ago. Her name is Tila Evans. She's a sales consultant, sales leader. Uh, her work with me was invaluable and we hit it off on a personal and a sales professional level. And she's recently joined a company called FlockJ, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But Tila, thanks for making the time. It's great to see you again and happy to finally talk to you. I know, Matt, thanks for having me on. I'm like, I hope we make space to talk about our favorite sales books. I really, I really look back on those moments fondly because I feel like, yeah, having some of that material in there is just a, a super big part of like growing, we're growing your skills. So excited to be on. Thanks. I'll make a note of that. We'll come back to a couple of uh, <laughs> homework assignments for some people. So uh, one of the things that I, I wanted to start out with is becoming a consultant and um, defining what that meant to you. And how does one get started? Because um, that's people have very tactical, tangible skill sets. But how do you go from being fully employed at a company to going out on your own? What have you found that's worked? Was it scary? Take me through that. Yeah, that's a big question. <laughs> I feel like people get started being a consultant in different capacities, right? Where it's either your own choice or maybe some sort of event happened that kind of pushed you to making that choice, right? And for me, it was definitely the, the latter. So I was working at a uh, tech company in spring and they did a mass round of layoffs. And um, I was one of the only folks of about like two and a half years that was let go. And so it was definitely a bit, you know, surprising and shocking. And so there was a moment like even though you understand, hey, we're in a global pandemic and, you know, businesses have to make really hard choices. Um, it was, it's still, you know, it hurts you a bit, right? So there's definitely a period of time where, you know, I was doing a little bit of that sulking and like, you know, trying to take care of myself. And after that period of time, I recognized that my heart has always been in sales. I love sales because it's so many different things at, at once. You're talking about human psychology, uh, how you present, how you communicate written um, you know, with your emails. And I really enjoyed that. I missed that fast paced environment. And with the connections that I had really made over my years in tech, I realized that a lot of the folks in my network were creating their own companies and really trying to take it to the next level. And while they were amazing at building product or on the technical side, the areas that were really, you know, they weren't as well versed in were the sales side. And so when I started having these conversations with folks, they hit you with the, 
common, can I pick your brain? That is a common, <laughs> a common email or a common <laughs> message I feel like that people get. Um, I was like, yeah, of course. So I hopped on the phone with them, um, better understood, you know, hey, what are they trying to build? What do their companies look like? And was able to start just giving some pointers. I'm like, oh, well, have you considered doing this? Think about how you build your team this way. And, you know, think about these kinds of goals and targets. And each time we had a conversation, they'd be like, wow, this is, this is really great. Thank you for that guidance. And then I had a moment, Matt, where I was like, wait, I feel like I could get paid to do this. <laughs> I don't, I actually don't have to let people just pick my brain. I could probably get paid for that. That sounds nice. Um, and so that was kind of like started the wheel turning. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm laid off. It's not about me and the work that I do. I have this amazing network of people that need help in an area that I enjoy helping folks. So I was like, you know what, let me, let me go ahead and start this whole consulting, consulting business thing. And it was incredibly terrifying at first. I was like, <laughs> I don't even know. I mean, like, what does that even, like, can I, that work? Okay. If you're going to create a business, what would you do right now? Tell me. Me? Yeah. What was the oh. first step? What would you do? Um, I would my marketing side would fire up, but I try to come up with a creative name and then I get back down to like what I could actually do. So I'd get off the fun stuff and get down to the, the ugly nuts and bolts that actually would help me get paid. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I feel like I did less on the creativity around the name and really was just focusing. Like I was really wrapped around the axle of, oh, okay, what is it that I'm giving people? How do I package that? Um, and I realized I was getting decision paralysis. I was like, oh, I don't know. It has mm. to be perfect or in this kind of way. And I realized what was important was just like to get out there and work with people. And each time I had a meeting with someone, I feel like that helped push me forward in creating like a proposal and researching how to do that. It's, I think it's interesting when you don't have a full-time job, you recognize how much energy you actually have to give to things because you're not giving it to a job. You're giving that and putting it into yourself. So if, you know, if you're working a full-time job, it may be hard to figure out how am I going to carve time to do this. Uh, but when you have a lot of that space, you're like, wow, when I really am focused and determined about what I want to build and how I want to help people, a lot of that magic just happens and unfolds. Well, I, I think about that too, is that uh, things that I'm passionate about that I've worked hard to learn that uh, I give away all the time. And I've, I've started to ask people if they want my advice. Like it's kind of like <laughs> in, yeah. the, in relationship counseling <laughs> where it's kind of like, do you want me to listen or do you want me to problem solve? Because I can do both. Just tell me what you need. Exactly. But topics that I am passionate about, it's like, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. And uh, funny story, a friend of mine, she had, she likes making jewelry. She likes making pieces, one-off, things like that. And everywhere she goes, people ask her, well, where'd you get that? And then she says that she made it. And so immediately she's like, maybe I should start selling it. And then in my head, right? it's like beautiful mind, right? So I've got like, well, here's your website. Here's this, here's this, here's this. And it stressed mm -hmm. her out to no end. <laughs> and I was like, look, you can make it super exclusive. You release it when you want to. She's like, just stop. You're stressing me out. 
exactly. No, but like, and that's a good point. It's like, start small, right? I think like you don't have to be like, all right, I have to have this company website and all these different services and have this all like design. I'm like, no, just start small. Like anything that you do, you build it over time. Um, and I think that like really became true for me. It was like, at first it started with one client, um, you know, through, through a network. And then it was more as like, people were aware of like what I was doing like on LinkedIn. And then I would just have people start reaching out to me. Uh, but I feel like starting small and then just recognizing that you have so much ownership in that, like you get to decide, like with your friend, right? You get to decide how many contracts you work. You get to decide what depth you go into with your contracts and services. And as I reflect on those moments, I think about, I'm like, oh, if I could have gone back, I probably wouldn't have, I wouldn't have committed to as much right? I was like, yeah, I can do all of these things. And I'm like, well, you don't actually need to do all of these things. <laughs> you probably just do like a couple of them. Um, and then if you, you know, that could be the next phase of the project or whatever it is. But yeah, I totally agree with that. Just start small because it'll build over time. So going back to the decision paralysis, that that is something that I, I wrestle with on a daily basis. What was something that, um, had you up against a wall and like, should I do this? Should I do that? And how did you work through deciding what's probably a good enough decision? Do you recall something that stuck at the start? Yeah. I mean, are you thinking more around the consulting decision paralysis or more just like, sure. Sure. Yeah. Anything big or small. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I can talk to the real example of, of the business that, you know, it just had a lot of imposter syndrome. I was like, I don't know, am I right to be doing this? Like, can I do this? Uh, and then also with consulting too, we got to think about, I'm so used to getting a paycheck from a job. Could I create enough pipeline, you know, build enough of my business that it would be sustainable? Like, could I, you know, that, that was, that was really scary to me. Um, and it was important that I listened to that anxiety and what it was trying to tell me. And I feel like when I think about, oh, could I live and you know, sustain my life on this, you know, on consulting, it's like, okay, well, like, what does it take for you to feel comfortable in your, in your life? Like, what does that financially st- financial stability look like, right? And so like, I started bringing a little bit more of like the logic back into it to help mm. rationalize with this irrational, emotionally driven part of me that I don't really think was, was really true. So um, it was hard and, it, and I overcame that through talking with friends. I had to like, I had to just like ideate on it and talk with other people that maybe had created their own businesses or were thinking about creating their own businesses. Uh, I would say definitely folks that have created them because they've made it over that hump as well. And they can really speak to that. It's like, yep, that is a totally valid fear when you think about financial stability, when you think about imposter syndrome and if you can or cannot do it. Um, And you have to like, you have to take that leap of faith in yourself. And I think it goes back to like, if you have energy to put into yourself, the things that you can do, it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, that's for sure. One of my coping mechanisms is that if I'm laying awake and thinking about it, I'll <clears throat> at least write it down 
either in a piece of paper or a journal, make it somewhat tangible. I don't always do the worst case. Like um, Tim Ferriss and the Stoics talk about, you know, take it to the absolute worst end point. Like what's the worst that could possibly happen? Sometimes I do that, but I find that putting just a little bit of a plan or a number or something tangible. So I've got this, like you mentioned the word anxiety, which I think is very appropriate, which is, I'll just call it a cloud thought bubble. But then the minute that (laughs) I start putting a number to it or doing something to address that, it either pops or rapidly starts shrinking. And it's not as scary because it's, well, I've defined it a little bit. Tangible. Yeah. 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 A hundred percent. No, I think that's totally right. It's like, if we can help, you know, a lot of this anxiety is like up in, up in our heads. Right. And as you described, if we can make it more tangible and real, we're like, Oh wait, this actually isn't as much of a scary thing as I, as I really thought it was. Um, yeah, I think that that's a really good point. And before I get back into the sales, what, and when you're going back to getting laid off and I've experienced that multiple times in my career, um, what were some of your coping strategies? Uh, what, what did, what did you experience? What did you find that helped get you through that? I have to ask Matt, were you um, at any points in your career where, where you laid off during the pandemic or... Because I, I feel like that kind of changes the game. Like to be laid off with millions of other people during a pandemic where everyone's like having to stay inside, like that feels different. So I'm just wondering too, if like, yeah, if, if that resonates with you or if, if it was like before the kind of global pandemic. Uh, yes, it was actually before and during. Yeah. So, uh, and then <laughs> before any sort of a pandemic years ago. So, um Right. Yeah. It, yeah. 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 No, so that's, yeah. I'd be curious to hear. <laughs> yeah. And I'd be curious to hear how you, like how those things changed and how you coped. Cause I feel like with um, other sales leaders, they have been, you know, laid off from other, um, other periods of time. And I think being laid off, I mean, it just sucks. Like, let's just call it what it is. <laughs> like, yeah. even again, if you're, even again, if you're like, yeah, it's for the business. And you get the reason and, you know, sales aren't where they're supposed to be. And it doesn't, you know, they can't keep the operations going. I mean, that's like all well and good. And at the end of the day, like it still, it still hurts and and hits you. Um, But I think for me and like how I coped through that was, you know, I'm a big believer that you have to feel through your emotions. So you're free to feel something. And if you try and move away from it or ignore it, um, it's that feeling is still going to be there. And so for that first little bit, you know, I leaned into that. I was like, yeah, this is sad. Um, This is, you know, I have feelings about myself, my own competency. And then after I really felt that, I was like, okay, wait, no. Like, I know what I'm doing. Um, I do really great work. I pride myself in my work ethic. And I think that really helped to, you know, stabilize me again and then I was recognizing too I'm like wow not only am I laid off but millions of other people are laid off right now (laughs) and there was like an odd kind of camaraderie in that and I think that also helped carry me through that like even though I felt 
you know, isolated and lonely because of what the pandemic, you know, required of all of us. I also felt this connection with a lot of the challenges that other folks were going through. So it didn't feel like as isolating and um, like hopeless, I guess you could say. I think it's important to honor how you're feeling, how I'm feeling, how, how one is feeling, mm. whatever you want to, whatever um, pronoun we want to use. And when I was struggling years ago with something, a therapist had told me just respect where you're at. It's going to be temporary. And the last thing, and I remember the exact moment because it was a, a sunny day. It was summer blue sky. I was with my daughter and I felt miserable and I was beating myself up because I felt miserable. And this counselor, this therapist had told me just be where you're at and it's going to be temporary and temporary could be minutes or hours or a couple of days or, but just, you don't need to be <laughs> beating yourself up more for feeling yep. bad or not, you know, <laughs> Not I should be, or I wish I was right. The, the woulda, coulda, shouldas never help anybody, you know? And right. Yeah. And in, and then, in the spirit of you know, transparency, you and I met at a, a great company, you know, flat file. And um, yeah. I will just say that you know, it, the, the honesty that has pervaded this podcast in the best possible way, I, I was fired, but it was fine. It was a great experience. I met wonderful people. I wish them, the best of success. And it just wasn't a fit. And I say the mm -hmm. word fired as opposed to laid off just for me to own it a little bit. And I know that it's kind of a, um, a, a harsher word, but yeah, it, that was it. You know, it was like, Hey, you know, party's over for you, but <laughs> it was still, I met you through there and I had a great experience and right. So, again, you just never, you never know. Yeah. And so it's just important for me to, it, I've been laid off before and then whatever, but again, just in the, just to open the dialogue for people that may be listening and just say that, you know, I, the, I, I never like to say the older I get, but the more that I've experienced things and the person I want to be to myself, sometimes the words matter. So thanks for the, yes. the diversion, but you know, yeah. Just own it. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I think that's really important because like, if you can have that honest conversation with yourself, then you don't have to hold on to any feelings of that anymore. Right. And I think now we're in a working world where people move companies often, right. It's not where you're at a place for five years or whatever it may be. And you join a company and it might be at a certain stage. And then you know, it takes startups, for example, they change a lot week by week. And it's very conceivable that in six months, it's just not a good fit for you or for them. And so, yeah, I'm glad that you like own that and you call it out because I think it's, it's super important. Um, I know that I had a lot of feelings when I was laid off at my company. And cause I mentioned before, like I was one of the only people that have been there for quite some time um, mm. that was laid off. And so you know, it's, and, and I'll just, I'll own that of like all the people that were, <laughs> were laid off. I was one of like a really long time. And so I'm going to own it with you, Matt. It's important. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I want to call out, because I feel like there's something just so important there that 
you know, one of the things the pandemic gave me was definitely an opportunity to create my own business. And one of the things I feel like the pandemic also gave a lot of us is this moment to really reconcile with how we were spending time with others and time with ourselves. Mm. And it was a period where you were seeing, you know, friendships falling, right? Because it's like the way that we're connecting with each other is different. Um, the work that we're doing is different because we're like, wow, this is so much of our lives. Um, and we want to make sure like that we're enjoying it, right? Or the environments that we're in, because so many people, we're, we're all at home now. I think there's so much more emphasis on the environment that we work in and how that supports what we're trying to create or what we're trying to do. And so it was definitely a, a kind of like a slowdown moment and then a period of time to really reflect. And then I see this year, even though I know we're still deep in the, in the pandemic and the vaccine rollout, um, but now it's a way that last year we really kind of slowed things down, reflected on like, hey, what is important to us? What am I giving energy to? Is that what I wanna be doing? And then now this year is really building that back up, right? So I feel like last year and this year is hard for folks in a whole spectrum of ways. And there are moments for some folks where I feel like we've had these moments to, yeah, just like reflect and, and kind of build what we want moving forward. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. And in times where I've been tested, I cure my emotional diet first before I do anything else. And it's what I consume has in and my mental state could be very fragile, or it could just be uh, isolated or you know, situationally depressed, whatever the case may be. But in those times I have worked to reach out to better things to watch, read, listen to that are um, guiding lights or North stars or inspiration because you know, I, I don't like reality TV and I don't like, you know, all the, the crime shows, you know, the, the worst of <laughs> humanity. If I have an hour, I'd much rather have something that is the, the best of humanity to inspire me and go, all right, it may be a challenge for me now. And, and, and it's not in any way to put things into perspective. It's more of pushing through that you know, the cloud, another cloud and just saying, oh, it's just, what did someone do to get out of this? So that's what I'm looking for. That's, that, that's really powerful. And I feel one of the things I'm also thinking about too, around like mental health is that being in sales is a grind and it can be really <laughs> tough. Yes. And there are a lot of ups and downs. Like we talk about the ups and the winning all the time, but we don't ever really talk about what it's like to persevere through the down and the low moments. <laughs> um, and I feel like you've mentioned mental health a couple of times. I'm curious, what are the ways that you take care of your mental health right now? Great question. And welcome to the Tila Evans podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you said I can ask questions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that, is a, that is a fabulous question. Um, so just this past January, I started meditating again after doing it for years and years and having it just be a habit, but not maybe necessarily kind of going from something that had an impact on me to maybe 
about the same impact as brushing my teeth. So that same habit. So mm -hmm. I took a break from it. I took a break from journaling as well. And I have restarted that, um, I would say, uh, six or seven, five or six days out of the week. I, you know, my schedule was off this morning. I just couldn't devote the time to it, but, um, I've made it probably in the, you know, the two and a, or the month and a half that we've been in 2021 okay. most days. And the other thing that I've been doing, and this came from a podcast with Tim Ferriss and, uh, blanking on his name. I talk about this all the time, but he is a sports psychologist and he talked about how people talk to themselves and how mm. that in some cases we would say things to ourselves that we wouldn't say to anybody. And so with the journaling I've been doing, I've been transitioning a bit to like, if, if you came to me with a problem or my son or any of my other friends, what would I say to that person? And, and as a very specific example, um, I, a couple of weeks ago got a pizza, right? It took me three and a half days to go through a medium pizza. So that's pretty good. And I'm an overachiever, Tila. So I know I could have finished the whole thing that first night. I was like but three days. That's not a lot, man. That's like, I'm like first day it would have been gone. <laughs> But, you know, acknowledging like a little victory and, and what I write is not super syrupy and it's not rah-rah. It's, uh, I would say, gentle accountability. And, and again, the same way I would talk to you if you asked me for help. And so I remember kind of writing down, hey, you know, the pizza wasn't the best choice, but you know what? You had two slices and, and this and just saying, all right. And then, okay, so now tomorrow, be aware, you know, before you go to the fridge, go, Hey, does this help you with your goals of feeling better or, you know, being faster and lighter for the summer, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then really just, um, not brutally honest, but just talking to people about how I'm feeling and what's happening and not yep. spinning it and not putting my marketing hat on and going, Oh, well, we, we had a uh, separation from the company and, you know, it's like, no, nah, man, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> like, call, call spade a spade. <laughs> right. Right. And it's just, yeah, it's always freeing. It's less to remember. It's just genuine. And, and just, uh, those are the things that, that I have been redoing in 21. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you for being vulnerable and for sharing that. I feel like, I mean, that mental health is so pervasive in a lot of the things that we do. And I, when we even go back to like that moment of creating a consulting company, it's like having these conversations with yourself about who you are and how you want to show up in the world and not having to blow it all the way up. And it doesn't have to be this big thing, but just like staying true to you in that moment and just taking those steps forward and building those habits and being okay if some habits fall out for a little bit of time, but you're able to bring them back. So um, yeah, I think especially as you look at this past year and all the moments of reflection we've had, I feel like they're, um, you know, that creates good space for new ideas to come up. 
I totally agree. Totally agree. What's your next question? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've decided. I, I was like, no more questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, please. Seriously, I. It, it's a, a welcome change of pace when people engage. So you, I was just kidding. So. Um, so. Currently, you're with a company called FlockJ, and I had not heard of them until I'd seen your LinkedIn profile update and did some research into what they are. And I think it's a, a compelling story, and I'd like you to talk about that and, and what that means to you. Yeah, so FlockJ was actually one of my contracts, and huh. I actually rolled over to, to work with them full time. Yeah, they, they really captured my heart. Um, so, I mean, at a high level for folks that, that aren't aware, we offer an online tech sales bootcamp. And what that means is that we're really focused on finding folks that have these intangibles like grit and curiosity. But if you look at tech, there have been a lot of reasons why folks are excluded from those because they didn't have that school on their resume or that previous company, right? And we firmly believe that someone going to school is not indicative of their ability to perform well in sales. And their companies are missing a huge portion of the population that would be amazing A players. And so one, it's, we're talking about training people for sales, but you already talked about that. I can't stay away from it, you know, for whatever reason it is, <laughs> like, I love it. I love talking to people. I love the psychology of it. Um, and then the other part that's near and dear to me, so I'm a, I identify as a queer woman of color and representation is everything to me. Uh, through my career in sales, I've always worked at companies where it's been two to 5% black folks. Like that is the standard for an entire company. And it hits you different. It feels different when you come into a company and you don't see anybody that, that looks like you. And so through this program and through FlockJ, I have an opportunity to bring in underrepresented talent to really diversify these sales teams and these companies. Um, and then what's not lost on me is that we're actually bringing back this wealth into these underserved communities, right? The students that I used to teach, now that I'm on the business side, it's, and that's part also why I ended up converting over because to see my students that I was teaching land these amazing jobs where they're starting out as SDRs and BDRs, but they're making 75K upwards of that. And they come from making maybe 30K. If you think about what that wealth, what that money does, not only for them, but their family and everyone around them, like that's when you can really start to move the needle and bring this, this money back into communities that haven't had it. So there is, of course, the business part of it and how we work with companies and the ROI piece of it. But what really gets me jazzed is thinking that, wow, for one of the first times in my life, I can actually hop on a call and say, yep, I'm Black. And I can talk about my experience being the only, right? And I can really push on companies that are like, yeah, we made a DEI task force. And I'm like, that sounds great. What do you guys do it? They're like, yeah, well, you know, we're just, you know, you know, figuring out like different systems and processes, but I get to push on them and be like, okay, like, let's actually put some action in place, right? Like, let's actually get in some like diverse, underrepresented folks who, by the way, are pre-trained and top talent. 
So like, let's not forget those first two important pieces there. So yeah, I, uh, I jazz on it and talk about it all day. <laughs> Good. This is your time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's that like? Let's go back a couple of years. And again, pre-pandemic, what's it like walking into an office and there's nobody that looks like you? What does that feel like? (laughs) It's. There's a conscious impact and there's an unconscious impact. The conscious impact is that, okay, well, like this doesn't matter. It's fine. I'm not paying attention to it because you hear people say like, oh, well, like color doesn't matter, right? We don't see those things. And what I started to really unpack over time is that people's inability to see the differences and uniqueness of me was an incredible disservice. And I was getting kind of crunched into these perceptions of what people thought a salesperson should be. There wasn't space for me to come out with my vernacular, right? I had to do a lot of code switching. Like the way that I talk to folks, like black folks are different than I would talk to white folks. And you have to learn how to do this code switching. So you're doing a lot of this unpaid labor to really fit into teams. You're doing more than counterparts next to you because you have to fill the gap because you're like, hey, something feels different, but everyone's like, no, we're all the same. And it's like, well, that's actually not true. Like where I came from, does it look like where, you know, person sitting next to me who went to a really nice school and has that generational wealth, right? We're not coming from the same places. And so to recognize that and then be around leaders who were like, yeah, we don't see color. It was really detrimental to me over, over time. And I felt like it changed how I connected with people. And it really had, I minimized myself. And it wasn't until I was with other folks of color that I was like, oh, wow, like this is me like in my glory. Um, so I think representation matters. It matters that when I'm in San Francisco and you see like when everyone used to go to work uh, and you see folks on the street and the majority of folks that are unhoused are black folks. But when I walk into my tech building, the majority of folks in there are white identified. Um, it hurts when I look at an executive team and I don't see any black folks there. It hurts when I look at sales leaders that are even on the executive team and I don't see any black folks. Like that's that unconscious impact, right? Where it's like, I can't see myself in in that role. I only see janitorial staff that are cleaning the building that are black folks or these unhoused folks. So there's a big problem, not only in tech, but there's certainly like a big problem in terms of like representation and how we have those conversations. Cause I feel like instead of being like, no, it's like not a problem or like we're working on it. Like we should be real with each other about where we're at and what it means for a manager to show up for me when George Floyd and everyone else is being gunned down and we don't talk about it in the company, right? Um, that's a part of my experience that apparently I don't get the luxury of bringing to work. So, so coach me on this. So we're, we're friends, obviously. So what, you know, one-to-one, what is something that I could do that yeah, instead of saying, I don't see color, either right. acknowledge it or it, my first thought is that 
like I said, just be curious, be interested, um, be open. But what are some things that I could do between you and me that as a queer black woman that would be like, this guy's working on it. What are some things I could do to help not just be a friend, but understand your past, your culture and what you're going through? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good question. I don't have like a silver bullet answer. And I also think it depends on who you're talking to, right? Because my vulnerability in sharing my experience, I may be on a different journey and have a different relationship with, you know, sharing that than someone else would. Mm-hmm. And I always, I always just encourage people like just show up as a human, right? Like, like really like check in, like, how is your day going? Like ask about like family or ask about things like outside of work. If that person feels comfortable. Um, I think just like showing up with that genuine curiosity about me, um, that you're creating a space for me to be able to show up however I want. The, like the two things I also say is that your curiosity should not diminish my boundaries. So that means that, you know, if you're curious sure. about something, that's all well and good, but it's not, it shouldn't be up to me to have that emotional labor of educating you through that. And I wish that more folks would take to learning about things like the history of enslaved folks in America or inequities in tech. I wish they would like start researching those things on Google like they do about how do I create a scalable business model or how do I figure out ROI, right? Like there are ways that you can educate yourself um, to really, to better, better connect because I think that's kind of like, it always comes down to like, okay, you've now decided that maybe you're in a place and you're curious, which is great, um, but it's also really difficult for me when it's like all up to me to educate you. And it's like, you wanna see a little bit more effort for, from that person. Um, so I think that you are well-intentioned is amazing. And then like being able to take it a step further and really research is important. And then the one other thing I'll add is that white fragility is a real thing, right? We don't talk enough about um, these internalized beliefs that we all have from whatever education that we had, right? Um, and so I feel like it's important when you're in a one-on-one conversation that if I were to, let's say Matt, you and I are having a one-on-one and I brought up something to you and be like, oh, this really messed up thing happened to me like last week where, you know, customer service, someone wasn't serving me. And if your response was like, oh, well, like, you know, maybe that person didn't see you and it was a busy time or whatever it was. I don't, you know, I'd like to think your intention isn't to qualify away why I'm feeling that, but that tends to be the thing that always happens in a one-on-one. You're like, well, well, like, have you considered this? Or they probably didn't mean that. And they didn't mean to speak over you in that meeting. And I'm like, actually, what I need from you right now is to listen to me right? So that goes back to what we were saying way earlier. It's like, is this a time for you just to have space to listen or are we problem solving here? And in a lot of cases, when you're sharing vulnerable things like this, I'm not looking for you to explain away why someone did that. I'm probably already doing that in my head. I've been learning how to do that since I was a kid, right? And so it's really about creating that space and just just asking those questions like, how, how can I support you right now? I still remember very clearly my friend, Marty, he's uh, at the time he was a sales executive for a TV station here in Denver. 
and uh he and i went to a biker bar that's a whole different story but that was back when i had a dress code <laughs> as an engineer and he's in a suit and tie okay. for his role so Engineers we walk in uh, they did they did yeah, back when I was writing code, Tila, we did. So we, we walked into this biker bar uh, and it was kind of like Crockett and Tubbs, but you know, not quite that cool. But you know, we just had this conversation and he we were going to order another beer. He's like, no, nah, I'm good. I don't want to get a DWB. And I was like, D- what's that? He goes, oh, driving while black. Uh, mm. And I was like, wait, what is that? And he explained that. He's like, man, I get pulled over all the time. It's like, and I had no yeah. idea. And I didn't try to, you know, thankfully, whatever, you know, books I've read or something, I didn't try to talk that back or try to, like you said, justify it or explain it away, just approached mm-hmm. it with curiosity and had never heard that, you know? And so now I, you know, it's all over the news, right? You see that. And and again, it's just being aware to be a better person, I think is how I would describe it. And just asking those questions, yeah. like, well, what does that mean? And I, but I think the one thing too I would add there is that when we talk about topics like this, it's important to separate like your ego from maybe these internalized beliefs. And like, what I mean is that I just, I try to move away from things of like good and like a good person because like, I feel like you, you'd always like be good and bad, right? There's there's cycles of that potentially, right? Um, but I just feel like it's, it's a journey and, you know, showing up with like that empathy is, is, is really important and, it shouldn't have to be like if you're good or bad in, in that respect. It's just like you said, like you're able to really show up and like connect with your friend and and just say things like I'm 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 really sorry that happened. Like how can I support you right now? And sometimes it's just having the space to vent. And so I'm glad you're able to be there for that person. It's it's yeah, it's interesting how like racism and ethnic discrimination comes up in different parts of the world too. Like I remember one time when I traveled to. Italy with my friend um, who um, is Southeast Asian and we were at a restaurant and it was so weird like at the moment we couldn't have like called out like oh yeah they're like you know this is discrimination but like they weren't serving us really like our food was super delayed there was an issue with one of our orders there was something like like very wrong with it um and her parents were actually at the table not too far from us and everything and, and like their and their orders were totally fine. Um, and that was just like one instance. And we're like, okay, that was weird. And then we had an instance where we went to like, we went to a club and it was so bizarre, Matt. We walk into this club, nobody would acknowledge us or talk to us. And I'm at the bar and I'm grabbing a drink and I just remember like this, you know, white dude comes up to me I don't speak Italian and kind of like waved and like put his face or his hands like all up in my face. And I was like, what the heck is even happening? And then it was somebody who had come from like VIP, um, was from West Africa, came, you know, black man came and like stood in between us and like got this person kicked out and like invited me and my friend to like come up to the VIP with him. And it was as we were sitting there, we recognized, I was like, wow, like all the black folks are like over here in this certain area all the white folks are over here 
you know, dancing, talking with each other. Like it was a like very clear segregation. And I feel like when we look at the U.S., they're like, well, we're not like that. And I'm like, well, it's a lot more passive and it's a lot more subtle. And there's a lot of these unconscious biases that we have that impact how, who we give jobs to, who we promote, who we reward and who we let go, right? So it's, yeah, I feel like there's so many levels to that and how it kind of layers into how I perceive the world. I'm three quarters of the way through Hidden Figures, the, the book, and they talk about the, the, the difference in the, the 1940s, 1960s, North and South, and just the, the difference in it being, you know, um, behind the curtain or out front. Yeah, the racism mm. and things like that. Right. And, and one of the things I took away from that and some other readings and some other conversations is that um, I, I don't want to speak for you, but the pressure of an entire black America on you, because in a way you're re representing black America and I'm just some white guy. I'm just a dude, right? Like, like I'm not representing all of Colorado with whatever I do or all of the U.S. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know why people ask me if I could help with Black Heritage Month, right? <laughs> I was like, trust me. I was like, you actually don't need Black folks to do Black Heritage Month for you. You should invite them to the conversation and ask them how they want to show up, but you shouldn't come to us and be like, all right, dear month, what are we going to do? <laughs> 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 yeah can you take me to the hallmark card section for that please you know i want to get you the yeah uh... <laughs> really uh, yeah and and i don't see it as like you'd mentioned the fragility like I, i'm not so tied to that that i can't have that conversation and one of the things i've learned over this podcast and friendships and things is that if it, and I think maybe becoming a father helped crystallize this more than anything is that what the kids are experiencing, it's real for them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, whether they're afraid of the dark and, or, you know, something like that, it's just, that's their reality in that moment. And it, yeah. And, and to not sort of, um, it was one of the books between parent and child that taught me this technique of mirroring that I still use um, in all conversations is it sounds like this, or it sounds like this, or even, yeah, cause in, in mm -hmm. that I use afraid of the dark because in the, that book, if a <clears throat> four-year-old comes to their parents and says, Oh, I'm afraid of the dark. And they go, oh, that's silly. There's nothing to be afraid of. All the kid hears is that I'm silly and my ideas are stupid. Yep. And mm -hmm. I learned from that. Well, what, talk to me about that. Tell me about that. It's, you know, I want to support mm -hmm. them and be beside or behind or shielding them or whatever, but that's their reality. And I, I've told both of my kids uh, or now adults, but we'll never understand what that's like. I'll never, you know, uh, I'm a, you and I are literal polar opposites, right? Black, <laughs> black, 
black woman, <laughs> white man. I'll never in a million years ever have an experience close to probably what you go through on a daily basis. I'll never, never be like, unless it was an immersion, like unless I went to Africa and the situation was reversed, I'll never experience that. So it would be so arrogant of me to say, oh, Tila, you know, don't worry about it. You know, like, oh, I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> right. But, you know, people say it. That's true. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> and, and thank you for the, 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 it wasn't even challenging, just a, a very deep question and conversation that was you know, those topics this is how things change is two people mm -hmm. having a conversation and then connection and awareness and then and all that yeah 100 percent. and i i appreciate you for inviting me on and i'm glad that you are creating space for conversations like these and also just really encouraging the folks that come on to show up as themselves and share their own personal stories because you're right like we're in a period of time where we're just trying to seek to understand and to learn different perspectives and um i enjoyed my time working with you so much and i was so grateful and you're like hey you should come back on um so yeah thanks again i I'm, there's so many other directions we could take things and it's been really nice to just um, dig into things with you and share more of our own stories. We'll do a part two that's not sales. So I know you've got to run, but <laughs> Tila Evans, it's been great. It's uh, exactly what I expected I need to deliver. So it's just a nice way to spend the afternoon. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's such a great part of the day. Appreciate it, Matt. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Episodes of this podcast are produced and written by me, Matt Sodnikar. The intro was engineered by good friend Cole Weinman. And our original score theme song, Retro Funk, was composed by previous guest and good friend Randy Wiafe. I also have two requests. If you like this show, please share it with a friend who you think might like it. And also take the time to show them how to listen to a podcast, either on Apple transistor or spotify and i know you know somebody out there that would make a fantastic guest and if you do please shoot me an email to podcast at thewarmfront.com thanks for listening